Okay, so we'll uh, we'll get started here. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast, and I'm in Richmond, British Columbia today. We're at Church on Five. We've just uh, finished a couple of services. It's a Sunday morning, and so I thought we would talk to uh, Chris and Rachel Wilson about the church and about what's been happening here, and uh, just basically about uh, what church looks like in in Canada these days so uh, so you guys have had a kind of a, a little bit of an unusual uh, year in that in that you've actually grown during COVID like your your church has uh, it, it seems there seems to be a lot of life here and uh, some excitement and you're growing so just uh, tell everybody a little bit about that like what they what the year's been like and how you've navigated that stuff well, I think it's really, it has been an exciting time. Chris and I have been at this church for three and a half years now. And so uh, obviously a year and a half of that being COVID has been challenging. But our whole philosophy is just um, do the most that you can do and take every opportunity. And so we are seeing a lot of new life, probably about um, mm, at least 30% of our church did not come back from COVID in person. And I would say, you know, maybe about half of our church is just completely new people within the past year. So it's really been an exciting time and changed the demographics of our church. Definitely more, I'd say younger and maybe some more ethnically diverse as well. Kind of represents where we live. Um, and I just think we were hyper aggressive. Every church in, it seems like the lower mainland, uh, the vast majority of churches were like, we're just going to shut down until COVID's over. But we, we were just like saying, we just had to believe when we could do almost nothing. We're just going to be creative and doing whatever we can. Whatever we can and hope those seeds uh, sprout later. And I think they have and are still sprouting. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, just to give you some context, we were locked down all of last winter up until Easter, and we did drive-in services, drive-in movies, outdoor services, and then we moved back inside, and now we have multiple indoor services. But our area in particular, Richmond is a sector of Vancouver that is, you know, over 70% Asian. And so um, one thing that we've noticed is that, um, you know, the Asian population was uh, very, very conservative about COVID even before it hit Canada. They were already responding because of what was happening in Asia. And uh, a lot of the predominantly Asian churches took a long time um, or were more cautious uh, during COVID. Um, and so uh, we have just taken a different approach. And I think that's part of why uh, we're seeing a lot of life right now. Yeah, I, I think um, it was getting creative. Like we did trunk or treat, but the government wouldn't let us even with masks, get outside and do trunk or treat. So they would let us do a drive-through. So we somehow figured out how to do a trunk or treat and people could drive through. And it was like, it was it was a ton of work and it took a lot of people. Uh, but I think that was the other thing is like some, it invited some people in a season where everything shut down to actively participate, some for the first time. And now that's kind of helped us as we've grown, we need to release more and more. So that's, that's been kind of a cool byproduct. Yeah, so the engagement of people within the church as well, yeah. I think it just really shows me what I've always suspected. You know, like, 
watching an online service in the middle of a lockdown, that's one thing, but the church is meant to be flesh and blood. And I think that's a really important piece of what people are hungry for. Um, if I was a congregant, I personally wouldn't be interested in just staying at home and, and watching church online. That's not being the church. And the people here in Vancouver that we're attracting now are people that want to be the church. They want to serve the hungry. They want to be in a community group in person. We're not really attracting people who want to stay online. Right. And so, uh, so just, just the fact that you're open and you're doing something, you're doing whatever you can do uh under under whatever restrictions you have at the time has been has kind of made you has made you unusual it's made you like somewhere to go uh where maybe uh, like i talked to a lady this morning in between services who who said that she was going to another church but that church still hasn't opened up and so she started coming here like sometime in the last year and and really loves it and one of the things that she loves is that she can get involved here and, and be, be the church, not just uh, kind of observe the church. Well, I, I think um, churches, um, at least in this area, every area is a little different. But here, you know, the vast majority of churches are hyper-conservative um, when it comes to the pandemic, like what you were saying. And we've, you know, our growth has been, you know, you know, there have been transfers from other churches. Um, there have been, like, brand new Christians. But the biggest group, I think, are, like, the prodigal. Like, they grew up in the church. They went and did their own thing. And I think COVID has caused them to reflect and ask deeper and bigger questions. And what makes me sad is that the churches that are being ultra-conservative are missing out on the opportunity that's all around them. Like, they're, like, people are asking questions they never were asking before the pandemic. And they're searching for things, and they don't even know necessarily what they're searching. But they remember, uh, I remember grandma took me to Sunday school, right? And, and so they find their way here. Um, or maybe the online service becomes what we want it to be, like a front door to coming in person. So that's been kind of, uh, it's been cool to see happen, but also sad to see, like, that missed opportunity. Yeah, and that the thirty percent that you mentioned seems to be like that. That's on track for, like statistically, uh, about thirty percent of every church are not coming back, or at least appear not to be coming back. And uh, and a lot of churches kind of aren't really replacing them. Uh, and so, so when you have when you have new people coming in, uh, that's like it, this has not been. Uh, so I'm sensing from you guys that like this has been a really good year for the church, and there's a lot of churches I go to, and they're like, it's not my favorite year. Like it's been our worst year as a church, and we've we struggled. But uh, I think the principle of always like you can always do something. It's just finding out like God, what do you want me to do? Like we can always do something, and uh, doing something is usually better than <laughs> doing nothing, right? So. Yeah, and I think it's just hard when you're in the middle of it not to grow weary because there are always a lot of hoops and a lot of red tape that you have to jump through that you may feel is unfair. And um, especially, you know, if you're being forced entirely to go online and you lose that in-person connection. Like one of the things that I love about our church and was a sustainer for, I would say, like the core pastors and ministry leaders was that even when everything else, all of our uh, small groups and our Sunday services um, weren't able to take place. 
we were still able on Wednesday and Thursday to serve the hungry in our community in person. And so even though we can't come inside anymore, like that group of 10 to 15 volunteers that were still able to come in and serve together and being able to have the interaction in, in our community, um, that was really a sustainer for us. Yeah, and uh, when I was at Food for Life the other night, there was it was really cool because I looked out the window and there's a like there's a lady who's taking it upon herself to set up. Even though uh, people come to the door and they take food, she she set up a little table out in the parking lot and a little heater and and has her own little congregation or little <laughs> community out there, which is very proactive approach, right? To like, well, we can't come inside. We'll create. Uh, we'll create what happens inside, like out in the parking lot. Yeah, that, you know, that lady's name is Chona, and she is new to our church, and she is uh, was a missionary to the Philippines for many years, and I love that she does that, and isn't that, you know, we want people in our congregations to take those ministry opportunities and take ownership, so it's just awesome. Yeah, and uh, this the, the whole region of, like, we're on the West Coast, and so uh, the greater Vancouver area, like, how would, if you guys had to describe the general spiritual temperature here, it's it's a little different than uh, maybe in the prairies or, uh, or, you know, back in the Maritimes, like, uh, what, what what is what is it like to kind of do ministry here? What's the spiritual temperature like on the west coast of Canada? Uh, it's kind of a loaded question because it's something I was I, I went through a massive culture shock when I moved here for the first year, and um, being Canadian growing up, but working in the U.S. for eleven years and then coming back to Canada, I thought it'd just be like coming home again. And I learned that Canada's changed a lot in the last decade. And I've also learned that the, the West Coast is very different from the East Coast. And so I would say um, the spiritual temperature here, um, very hyper-progressive, uh, very post-Christian. I mean, I, I, I would be shocked to find a city that is more unchurched in North America than Vancouver. Um, very cynical and very skeptical. And so that's kind of the starting, like you start at a deficit um, here as, as a pastor. It's just funny because I was like sharing with Rach, when we started in Indiana, it was like people who didn't even go to church would come and be like, hey, I just want to let you know you're doing, you're doing the good work out there. And out here, it's, <laughs> it's more like they, they kind of look at you with suspicion from day one. So it was, it's just like, uh, it's like rewriting the script of how to do ministry and you just have to sit in it for a year or two just to know what are the questions you even have to address that people are asking right yeah i think um one positive of the church that i see in vancouver and it fits very well with um like how how i believe our faith should be lived out is that the people here in our church they're doers they want to live out compassion. They want to, to do something tangible to help. And uh, that it, being able to put your faith in action, I think, is such an important thing. Um, Christians in Vancouver, I would say, have a lot of ideological pressure on them um, just because of the progressiveness of the culture. And I think that there's a lot of wrestling right now about the authority of Scripture and whether we're going to let scripture be the authority of our life or whether we're going to start to listen to mostly, you know, other Christian voices that are telling us we don't have to do that anymore. 
and that there are parts of the Bible we need to leave behind. Um, you know, obviously, uh, sexuality is one of those areas that for Canadians is right at the forefront of how are we going to interpret what the Bible says about uh, what we do with our, our bodies, our sexuality, our identity. And I see especially Christians in their um, teens and their 20s, um, not just about sexuality, but really about the authority of Scripture, you know, uh, about the major decisions that they're making in their life. Um, am I going to do what the historical church has said for many, many years, hundreds and thousands of years is, is the way? Or am I going to follow the progressive side of Christianity? Yeah, so what, um, so the whole, uh, like, I'm, I'm dealing, like, back on the East Coast, even, even with, like, college students and, and, uh, and younger, we're dealing a lot with, like, deconstruction. There's a lot of, uh, like, a lot of some students and uh, where I teach and also, also uh, particularly some, like, recent grads seem to be posting a lot uh and going through this deconstruction phase so like what is that what does that look like here for you guys as you as you kind of deal with you deal with people who are going through that i think that's informed how we preach um and so this is kind of going back to what i said knowing what are knowing what are the questions that people are asking right and and helping them giving them permission uh, to doubt in a safe space but walking beside them as they do that because, you know, you don't want doubt to be um, a pile of rocks that break them apart and end up destroying their faith. Um, you, you want the wrestling of Scripture and what do I do with it to be something, for some people it takes years, years and years, but you want to be able to journey with them and let them know this is the perfect place to do that. You know, this is... It, if you separate yourself from here, that's actually the worst thing you can do for this. I think I went through my own deconstruction um, in seminary uh, without even knowing what that word was at the time. I went to Bible, I went to Kingswood and uh, served in ministry for uh, about four and a half years, and then I started seminary. And uh, it was um, an interdenominational seminary. So you had a mix of voices. I'd say it was mostly evangelical, but I did have some that were mainline or even progressive. And um, what I found was, is it was a, it was a probably like a half year process that was very distorting for me. Like I, it was like, well, they pulled this card from my deck out and it, and it caused me to like be tempted to allow things to connect piece to piece to let the whole thing structure come down. And um, I was just thankful that I was working at a really healthy church um, at the time and, you know, given permission with good professors and, and with good pastors to work through that stuff. I found that what, I, what came out of that was an even stronger faith. And so there are some aspects of Scripture that I walked away from and going, oh, this actually gives me deeper meaning. But I understand that in an age where people are looking at science, for instance, as being the chief authority over their life, not scripture, that people can make it seem that the scriptures, if given the right narrative, is anti-science. And that's just false. That's just plain false. But if you're given that narrative, then, then you start, it's like a domino effect that will affect every aspect of your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think for me, um, 
people have had a lot of really bad experiences here with Christians, with churches, and also with um, some teaching that isn't true. And that teaching is sometimes progressive, and it's sometimes conservative and just warped, right? So I think just helping them have a deeper understanding of what Scripture actually says and that there's certain areas, like Chris, you mentioned science, that's one of these areas where we can come along, say, come alongside and say, there's actually like three or four different ways that people who are Christian look at the same verses and interpret them differently. This isn't an issue of salvation, right? Like this is an issue where Christians can have different perspectives. And then, um, I, so I think like bringing clarity and also not letting our compassion and our love confuse the points where we need to be clear. Because I think sometimes um, we are abandoning truth in the name of compassion, um, and uh, that is not the right choice. If Scripture's clear on something, we need to be compassionate, but also hold on to that clarity, right? And uh, I think, um, like Chris said, wrestling in community is way different. Deconstruction's a buzzword right now, but I think that isn't the whole Christian life. You know, we're either going to be deconstructing worldliness in order to yield ourselves to Christ, or we're going to deconstruct the Bible's authority in order to yield ourselves to worldliness. So all of, all of the Christian life is supposed to be denying yourself. There's a, a positive kind of deconstruction, and most of how it's being used right now is, is a negative connotation, but that doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, I think, I think it's important that there are certain core things about what it means to follow Christ, that it's like this is, this is what Scripture says, and, and, and what's key to this conversation is this is how the historic church has seen this. And to me, that, that, is, that is so important at keeping you theologically in bounds when you're dealing with a society that is very tempted to change the meaning of Scripture. Because you can make the Scripture say almost anything you want taken out of context. Um, and so I think learning the historical church's theology on certain things has been helpful, keep you in bounds, and also to communicate to people. But when you get to issues like you're saying, like seven-day creation, that, yeah, there are a number of different interpretations. And if you have one here or one here, that doesn't not make you a Christian. That's not an issue over salvation. That, that's, that's an interpretation of, of something. Um, sometimes that can take us a little distracted, but, but it is... It's something that you, you're allowed to wrestle with, and it doesn't have to be that thing that causes the whole deck of cards to come collapsing down. Yeah, and, uh, and it, like, what, like what you're wrestling for, like if you are wrestling for truth, that's very different than wrestling to try to escape truth. And, and a lot of, uh, and, and so like everybody has to own their own faith Everybody has to wrestle and own their own faith, but it's a question of like, are you, are you wrestling to to get to truth, or or is there are there just things that you're using this as a convenient excuse to try to escape yeah. something that's uncomfortable for you? And I and I find a lot of a lot of the like a lot of the deconstruction that I see, it just runs in one direction. Uh, and, I, and I realized, like, looking back, like, I went through deconstruction, but I grew up totally outside of the church. I grew up, like, I grew up with doubt as my faith, and I had to deconstruct that. Like, I had to deconstruct the culture in order to come to Christ. So it looked a little different for me. Like, I went through all that 
before I came became a Christian rather than uh, like growing up in the church and then going through this period where I had to put it all on the table. Uh, but everybody does that at some point. Well, Mike, when someone is talking to me and I can tell they're deconstructing, right. um, especially college students, the first thing I ask them, where, what are you reading in Scripture right now? And here's what I find. Nine times out of ten, they're not. So, like, deconstruction can be a natural thing that happens as we go. If you were raised in the church and you have this simplistic faith that you start to own and then you are encountered with real world situations that cause you to maybe relook at it. But what the temptation I find is, is that they're reading articles or they're hearing podcasts or they're, they're a lot of talk. But are you actually going to the word of life? And, and, and are you reading um, to receive, not to, not to tear apart, right? And so, like, I think, yeah, it's like you're going to get what, you, what you're trying to get out of it sometimes. Like, it, like, it's why I'm telling people all the time, go back to the Gospels. Go back, go back, go back to the Gospels. But I think a lot of times when we're not reading Scripture and we're just looking at Instagram, TikTok, we, we want to run away. We want that excuse to kind of leave behind and maybe there's hurt mixed in there too, right? Like hurt from our families, hurt from bad teaching. It's a combination. Um, but I also just find with the people that are, are walking through our doors right now, many of them aren't yet Christian. And I just think, you know, how can I reflect Jesus' love to you consistently in a way that, you know, you can have this space to take steps toward Jesus? And we actually have some people right now who have said to me, okay, I'm bought into the church community thing. I love this church. I'm not ready to say yes to Jesus yet. And I said, that's okay, right? But it, for me, it's also how do we consistently reflect the love of Christ and don't, you know, just drop people when they haven't made a decision or, or they aren't the win as, as fast as we want them to be, right? People aren't a project. And I think people in Vancouver they can see right through when you are a religious person trying to make them a project. Yeah, and so um, so there's a huge difference for somebody who is who is genuinely seeking, and then somebody who is, uh, you know, because Satan always uses the same tactics. I find it it's always like it always it always starts with like, did God really say that? And then the and then the second part is like you know you could be God <laughs> you know those are the two things that isn't that, that in Genesis yeah, three yeah yeah it is and it's the like same tactic like right up to today and so so uh, when we're listening to a lot of those voices that they from our culture they tend to be saying like the question is did God really say that about sexuality about abortion about like whatever it is the question is did God really say that. And, and there's a, and so when we go to scripture as authority, like we can, we can like look at it and wrestle with it and then answer like yes or no. But that's, that's different than, uh, just, uh, kind of casually, uh, like echoing all the things that, that we're hearing. And so I have like all the time in the world for somebody who's really seeking truth and almost like zero time if I sense somebody is like, you're just looking for a way out. You're looking for an off-ramp from your faith. And, like, probably nothing I say is going to dissuade you from that, right? And you can you can kind of feel the difference when you're talking to people. Yeah, and I, I think, like, the next layer up of that is that 
there's a whole bunch of us who know the right answers, right? We know the right moral answers to all those questions, but we don't understand stewardship, right? And we don't understand when it says that we've died to ourselves and our lives belong to God. So we can morally fall in line with everything that scripture teaches us, but we're really still living with ourselves in the center. We haven't died to self. Our time is our own. Our money is our own. And maybe we're staying disengaged from the work that God has for us right where we are because it's just easier and we've stayed selfish. So uh, this is kind of a loaded question, but like where do you see, where do you see like church in Canada going from here? Like what, what do you see, uh, what do you see happening as we hopefully come out of COVID and it's, and it's obviously Obviously, we're not going to go back to what we were in 2019. Like, what are you? What trends are you seeing? Uh, like God, God doing here on the West Coast. That's uh, part of me is concerned about the church in Canada, um, as much for um, some of the students that are coming up. The authority of Scripture is really now in question with some of them, or at least the full authority of Scripture. Uh, ironically, what I find that is working for us when we when it comes to our communication is is honesty. Like it's it's really almost counterintuitive. Like in Vancouver, there's such a pressure to tell people what they want to hear, but actually we're finding that if we're just honest, hey, this is what the scriptures teach and what they have historically believed. They they may not get behind all of it right away. But I think there's a genuine appreciation that we're being straight with them. And then it's the conversations that help happen after that that help us go that direction. I, I find Canadians, um, since I've come to the U.S., or from the U.S. back to Canada, Canadians um, are very um, compliant <laughs> and uh, very safe at times. And maybe that's just something I'm seeing out of here. And yet there are the ministries that are really exploding here in the Lower Mainland, and there are. There are ministries that are just, they're taking risks, risks, risks. Um, and they are, they are figuring out ways to answer the questions people are asking, being straight up honest about those things, but doing it in such a way that the language they're communicating with makes sense. And if you're not hitting any of those three, you're probably going to miss people, right? Like if you try to talk to people like you do in the south of the U.S., uh, you'll attract a few, you know, Bible thumpers, but you're, you're going to go over most people's heads. I have so much hope for the church in Canada. And really, maybe what I mean by that is that I have a lot of hope for our church. Because you know what? I moved here three and a half years ago. I never go anywhere else on Sundays, right? I'm always here at church on five. But I have so much hope. And I would say in the days ahead from my perspective right now, I see that we are moving and need to move from being a faithful church to being, uh, you know, uh, an empowered church. And I think that one benefit the Canadian church has is that we've already been pruned. It's already harder to be a Christian in Canada than in the U.S. And kind of this attrition that the U.S. is seeing right now, I think that's already happened in Canada. And the people, at least, that are here in our church, they are faithful people. They've already wrestled through all of the hard questions. Um, those who have been part of the church for a long time, they are faithful. They want to serve Jesus. And I see them now stepping out in new ways and beginning to minister, not just to support ministry, but to 
minister relationally themselves, and that's super exciting to see. So I think uh, if if Christians that are in Canada um, could go from being faithful and quiet to being empowered and um, seeing themselves as ministers, that's the trajectory I see happening. I think there's a lot of confusion, a lot of confusing messages in some churches that need to die. That like they really like this. There's some denominations that are hanging on by a thread, um, and I'm kind of just waiting for that thread to break, <laughs> so so that that can kind of move off to the side, and and that the message of the, of the gospel, especially the historical gospel, can come out with clarity more than ever instead of stirring confusion of multiple interpretations of key biblical tenets. Yeah, and I so with, with all of the the hard questions that people are asking, I, like one of the things that I've come out is people have asked me like, "Are you affirming or not affirming?" And all, you know, I like I just generally say, uh, I I can affirm whatever scripture, whatever I I believe scripture affirms, and and I can't really go outside of that because ultimately, ultimately it's not about like how I feel or how you feel or what how we grew up or what our perspective is. Like ultimately, like scripture. Script. I have to have an outside authority. Like it, ha I have to, I have to have an outside authority for truth. Otherwise, it's just all opinion, and then the you know kind of the loudest, most aggressive person wins. And so, so the scripture, like in my life as an individual, and I think in the church, like this, the scripture has to have the final say. It has to have the final, like authority of of what we believe and and how we operate. Yeah, and at the same time, I love to free people up, people in our congregation, and say, you have to stop judging and expecting the people who aren't following Jesus and aren't even interested in church are necessarily going to see things the same way that you do. Just realize you're called to see things differently. You're called to extend the love and the good news. But until someone says yes to believing in the Bible and following Jesus, they're not going to see things the way that you are and you don't have to come to this point of agreeance with them. It's just going to be that you see things differently. Yeah, the gospel being an alternative to culture, I find is rings very true here. Like you have to really hit that part uh, because if not, the message that culture is continually giving you in an area like this is going to cause turmoil. You, 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 that really has to be the ground your feet plant on. We are in an alternative culture. That is the kingdom way. Yeah, and the, the good news about that is that the gospel has always been the most powerful when it's been countercultural. Like we tend to, when, when the culture's on our side, we tend to just kind of relax and go to sleep as a church. And so, uh, so there's, a lot, there's a lot about what's going on now that's kind of a wake-up call, I think. And uh, so thanks for taking the time to do this today. Out of hey, your busy we've schedule. loved this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, we'll see you next year. Everybody have a Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll be back with some more episodes in 2022.